When you visit Miami, you see extravagant cars, gorgeous beaches, and a dazzling nightlife. But this gang of Miami residents saw something else. Targets for extortion, kidnapping, and even murder. Michael Bay may have directed a hit movie about the incidents, but this true story is something even more sinister. This week's episode is The Sun Gym Gang Murders, Pain and Gain, Part 1. Up, bump in the night, your heart fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse, perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could, you'd rather just listen to who? Sinister I have a very important question for you. I would love to answer it. In the story of your life, in the movie <laughs> version, who plays you? Oh, gosh. That's a great question. I'm trying to think what the movie is, a, like, what my main plot <laughs> line general. is. Yeah, just in general. Um, hmm. Who's someone that is um, a bit sassy? And bold, but is uh, has a, a heart of gold and wears it on their sleeve. I would. I'll tell you who my opinion is on who should play you. Okay, Kristen Bell. Oh, I think she's too sweet, but I would love. No, that. she's Eleanor is like so. That's horrifying. true. That's true. She's great in that role. <laughs> and Veronica Mars is very I still take charge. Watched it. I got oh to. I know. Christy. Christy. I know. Yeah. I know. She's very, I mean, she'll just taste somebody. She's very take charge. She's like, get out of here. No, I don't care. And she's like, she's the scrappy poor girl in this like super rich, fancy town. And she just doesn't give a shit. (laughs) I would love that. I love her as a person. I love her and Dax's relationship. Mm -hmm. And she has a beautiful voice. That's the one part that she's, I, I don't. I can't compare to her at all. <laughs> she burst into tears when she saw a sloth. That's true. Okay, it's Kristen Bell. It's Kristen and Bell. And also, uh, she she's a detective in Detective Mommy Funny Pants, like Detective That's Veronica Mars. That's true. Okay. I think it's perfect. All right. Honestly. I'll go with that then. That's better than anything I was going to come up with. Do you have yours? Well, people, when every time I put my face through a scanner of what celebrity do you look like, it comes up with Shannon Woodward, who's like in Raising Hope and... What is the one with the robots on it? Westworld on HBO. Shannon Woodward. But I don't feel like she's got I the personality. I can't think of who that is. I mean, she's a girl with brown hair. She's not anything. No <laughs> offense to her. Brunette. She's fine. She's fine. Uh, I would love if I got to choose, I would choose Chelsea Pretty, <laughs> even though she's not country, but I think she's got the vibe, the right kind of vibe. You're, that I'm you're a for. Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan, so that would make yes. sense. Also true. Um, I'm not good at this game. So I think, um, yeah, I think that's that's a good one. I know that um, Brian Harrington is like yelling right now. Like, oh yeah, this he is knows. who should play you. He'll immediately text and be like, <laughs> "This is who should play you." Um, well, that's I. You know what? If either of them are listening, Kristen or Chelsea, we would love to cast you. In, it's time for the Sinisterhood movie. In in the movie that finally. Those two come together. Those two blockbuster <laughs> actresses come together to play us. Um, does that mean Dax plays Tommy? Because that would be fun. It could be. And then Jordan Peele can play Paris. Oh, see? <laughs> works out perfectly. <laughs> it totally does. It all works out. Uh, done and done. We're going to have to have a horror spin in the middle of the movie then. That works for us, too. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's true. very on this brand. This is all working out beautifully. Okay. I love it. Oh, I like it very much. Well, um, there you go. That's the episode. We just wanted to pitch our new blockbuster hit. <laughs> Who's directing this? Uh, Michael Bay. Michael Bay. Okay, cool. So there's a lot of explosions, a yes. lot of action, which honestly of- is our life. <laughs> His, like, shots that go around in, like, 360 shots and very dramatic music. A lot of cityscapes, downtown shots. We're going to have to film where there's, I was going to say, we're going to have to film where there's some sort of body of water. A lot of boats and stuff. Done and done. All right. (laughs) We've done it. Okay, cool. It's called Sinisterhood, Keeping It Creepy. (laughs) 
I love it. Well, we're talking about Michael Bay and who would play us because this week's suggestion, which came to us from a listener, uh, Shelly, thank you so much. When she emailed, she was she told us about it. And then she said, by the way, there's a Michael Bay movie starring The Rock and Mark Wahlberg that's based on it. And I was like, say no more. If The <laughs> Rock was involved, we will cover this. Big Rock fans over here. Yes. And you watched this. Yes. Yeah. What is it's, your uh, what is your uh, Roger Ebert review? Well, I learned that certain directors are called auteurs because Paris went to film school, and apparently Michael Bay is an auteur. So he has a style that you know what you're going to get. It's like yeah. a Quentin Tarantino movie. Sure. You know what you're going to get. So this was a very Michael Bay movie. I love Bad Boys, by the way. I should oh, start yeah. by saying I'm not here to talk shit about Michael Bay. No, the man Bad delivers. Boys is great. He delivers on his promises. So it was similar to Bad Boys. It really framed the true star is Ed Harris, who plays Private Eye Ed I Dubois. I love Ed Harris. Oh, man. He, and he's have, good in this. I have a crush on Ed Harris. Do you really? I think he's sexy, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, he's to me, he's like scary sexy. Really? He's scary? To me, he uh, seems he's... like, I don't know, just like kind of a bit rugged, but at the same time polished. He scared me so bad in the Truman Show. <laughs> Oh, I don't remember him in that. He's he's like the producer guy, and he's uh, like, what are you going to do? And he's like, let him die. <laughs> he's got a bad boy side, which I like. Well, in this, he's very, I like it. He's very badass and take charge. And when either the cops aren't doing what he wants or the character, the Mark Schiller, the accountant character, is not doing what he wants, he's, he's like, you're a pain in the ass. You're a very bad victim. Mm. And he's very no-nonsense. And then Mark Wahlberg, Anthony Mackie, who's from Captain America and the Avengers. Mm -hmm. And then and also the screenwriters of this movie wrote two of the Avengers movies, one Captain America, one Thor movie. So that's kind of where they've gone since Pain and Gain is into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, of which I'm a huge fan. Nice. Very nice. And the uh, so the unfortunate thing is that they make I mean, The Rock is always charming and he's not one of the two main killers. The two main killers is Mark Wahlberg and Anthony Mackie. But they make them, like, kind of sympathetic. And I know we talk about there's no real heroes and villains. But the crimes that are that are depicted in this movie are kind of uh, dark comedy whimsical. And mm-hmm. then when you read the the appellate uh, information and, like, the, the notes of what really happened and hear from the victims themselves and their family members, it's kind of gross. And it makes me feel guilty. <laughs> I never laughed while re- researching this. I'll tell not you that. Even, not even not one time. It didn't even occur to me that, ha ha, not even a guffaw. A few times I rolled my eyes because they were very stupid. In the movie? No, I mean, when researching oh, the, this. Yeah, they're not like, portrayed as the smartest people. No, and then the movie, they the whole bit is that The Rock is kind of huge and that he gets kind of grossed out. Well, one of the things he gets grossed out about is a victim's body in a cardboard box. And they use the victims' real names and just mm. hearing their families, how devastated they are, and to be like, ha, 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 Christina's in a box. It's like, that's a person. You yeah. could, It would have done nothing to the story to change the name. Yeah. And change some of the details, you know what I mean? about Especially around the victims. I think there was a way to do it that was more respectful. I think if you're portraying a real-life crime, res- paying respect is of the utmost importance. Yeah, to the... To the victims. And I think they could have, it just like I said, it would have done nothing to the plot, to the script, to anything. Instead of it being Frank and Christina, you literally could have made it Bob and Sue and nobody would have batted an eye. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to skip it. Yeah. I mean, it's a Michael Bay movie, but, and I think if I didn't know the true story, I would really like it. Mm. But knowing that it's not even that, it's really not very fictionalized, watching the murders. I got I got uncomfortable. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for your review. Of course. And um, thank you for your courage. I don't know what, why I said that. <laughs> you. you know what? You're welcome. I'll watch a Michael Bay movie for research any day. I, yeah, I like it. I like and I do like that. You know what you're getting with yes. him that, you know, if delivers. you're in the mid, if you're in the mood for that kind of stuff, he does deliver for sure. Yeah. You know who else delivers? Who's that? Uh, Papa John's and I don't know I'm at a point in uh, this election where I've lost my mind so I'm just saying things that make no sense 
Let's just get an answer, can we, guys? Dude, Jesus I did not, Christ. I didn't go to sleep until 3 a.m. Tuesday into Wednesday, so it's been rough. My brain's been a little, a little was that, uh, mushy. Was that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I stayed up that late, too, because I wanted to see Trump's uh, speech, which, God almighty. Yowza. Yowza is one, one way to, one thing to say about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, uh, we've gotten a lot of emails from people out of the country saying, we're watching with you guys and we feel your pain. And I say, thank you so much, Australia. Yeah, I was going to say, someone from Australia said, I'm sorry, why is it hard to vote? And I was like, how much time do you have? (laughs) Where do we begin? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's. Ugh, I can't even get I, into it. I could do a whole separate podcast about yeah, voting rights and, and advocacy. Yeah, and the Electoral College and all sorts of shit that needs to change. For sure. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into this. In 1987, John Meese, a Miami accountant who had fallen in love with the sport of bodybuilding while attending Texas A&M University, opened the Sun Gym just north of Miami Lakes, Florida, a serious bodybuilder's gym that didn't cater to the weekend warrior. Yes, this is the kind of place you don't go to unless you know what you're doing. I would never set foot in this place. No, looking at it made me nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I Gyms in general make me nervous Mm -hmm. because I don't know how to use the equipment and Mm -hmm. I feel vulnerable and just really out of my element unless I'm just like going to walk on the treadmill or something like that. (laughs) But I also, that's all I would do. So I'm like, I don't need a membership to walk on a treadmill. Like I'm just paying for, Tommy used to be a member of Planet Fitness. Mm -hmm. I like them. And my first exposure to them was going once with him. And they um, had tables of pizza set out for all of the people that were there that night. I was like, huh. Well, that's not something you see at a gym every day. And then there were bowls of candy up by where you signed in. And again, just I didn't understand it. But I really like that they are the total opposite of the Sun Gym where it's like, don't grunt. Don't throw your weights on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, don't want. Lug yes, you can't have any of that type of behavior here because they don't want that intimidating atmosphere. But also, if you're a gym and you give out candy and pizza, you're creating a just the it's perfect for client retention. Yeah. It's like on uh, True Beverly Hills. You set up your cookie stuff right next to the uh, Weight Watchers meeting. Mm-hmm. There you go. Sun Gym didn't only have a reputation for being muscle obsessed. The health club was also described by those in the area as being a hot spot for the uh, cops and bad guys, according to the Miami New Times. It was even known among Miami-Dade police officers that the monthly quota of felony arrests could be achieved in one night at the Sun Gym. Makes me even more nervous. <laughs> yeah, no, this is not a place we would we would stick out like sore thumbs if we entered an establishment <laughs> like this. The employees and managers of the gym were also no strangers to lives of crime, with rumors circulating that some were involved in drug trafficking and even murder. In 1992... When native New Yorker Danny Lugo showed up at the gym looking for work, things were about to get even worse. Who plays Danny in the movie? Wahlberg? Mark, M- Marky Mark. Who himself is a convicted criminal. I don't know if he's convicted, but he definitely committed a crime. What was his crime? It was a hate crime against an Asian person. He beat oh, him and right. blinded him. Yes, I remember I think we that. had this conversation when we went to the 90s concert. I think you and I, because it was the new kids yes. on the block, which yeah. he wasn't in, but his brother's in, and yeah. we were talking about how that. people have just forgot about that, and I mean, like it just star. got brushed under the rug somehow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I even had forgotten until you just mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Shame on me. Good marketing on his part. Good PR on his, his damn cruise part. Yeah. A fast talker and charmer, Danny Lugo promised John Meese the sun, moon, and stars convincing him that together they would build an empire. More importantly to John than the potential clothing line, Juice Bar, and Jim Karate Team, was that Danny claimed he was developing a computer software program that would revolutionize the gym's account receivables department. As an accountant, this resonated with John, filling him with high hopes that this would be the thing to take his gym to the next level. 
the way they kind of portray in the movie, there's a lot of uh, voiceovers from multiple characters, which I thought was an interesting choice. But Mark Wahlberg's voiceover says, you know, all I ever wanted was to have what everybody else had. And I think that's what you kind of see is pushing Danny is that he wants this lavish lifestyle, but he doesn't really have anything to offer to achieve it. So he turns to crime. Yes. Yeah. He's just a a liar and a scammer. That's what he has to offer. So enticing were Danny's promises that John was willing to overlook his new manager's unsavory past. Having just served a 15-year sentence for running a phony loan scam operation, Danny was about to be on federal probation for the next three years, meaning he wouldn't be able to establish lines of credit or even use a credit card without the permission of his probation officer. Still, John decided to hire the 6-feet-2, 230-pound ex-con to be a personal trainer at the gym. Within a year, Danny was promoted to manager. Yeah, John was a real smart guy, but he didn't have the best um, eye when it came to hiring employees. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of managers that stole from him. One was caught heading down to the Mexico or somewhere that, with just loads of cocaine in their car. Another was accused of murder. Um, Yeah, so I think he was, his business wasn't doing, the gym wasn't doing that great at this time. And he was looking for someone to just kind of pull him out. And Danny Mm -hmm. came around at the right time with the right words and just wooed him. Yeah, you get a desperate man and a charmer like that. And Mm -hmm. it's a powder keg. Mm -hmm. Son Jim wasn't the only thing Danny managed. He was also the head of a small gang of fellow muscleheads, mostly comprised of small-time thieves, that used the gym as their sort of headquarters. One such member was Danny's best friend and right-hand man, Noel Adrian Dorball. Felix Jimenez, who worked as lead detective on the eventual case, told CBS News that Dorball did uh, anything that Danny wanted him to do. Dorball's loyalty paid off as Danny quickly made his friend and workout buddy a millionaire. And that's Anthony Mackie in the movie. All right. Almost immediately after being hired at Sun Gym, Danny had met another bodybuilder who was fresh out of prison for committing white-collar crimes. Seeing a kindred spirit in his client, Danny suggested the two go into business together. Just like that, the two parolees were back on the criminal scene. The scam this time, establishing phony medical companies. The men rented mailboxes at the local post office and bought critical information about Medicare recipients that would help them in their fraud. Names, social security numbers, birth dates, all for just $10 a piece, according to the Miami New Times. The final piece to their fraudulent puzzle? Mailing bills to the government for non-existent medical services. There are just entire law practices that are dedicated to defending this these kind of scams. And then within the government, there's entire practices that it is... They investigate and try to find these because it's so it's so much paperwork that Mm -hmm. the government gets it. They pay the bill and it's not until later that they're like, oh, this wasn't real. And and then by then you've deposited the money and possibly fled the country or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And what's also happening now is people are getting phone calls. It's like, do you want a free COVID test or do you want a free back brace? All you have to do is give us your Medicare information. Mm -hmm. And what the company does is like charge Medicare $500 for a back brace. It's like a piece of foam that you get. And then when the company runs off, Medicare can also try to come after the person that, you know, the customer. Oh, horrible. Eventually, Danny's partner in crime began fearing for his life and decided to part ways. Ever the businessman, Danny then deposited all his illegal earnings into a mutual fund he had set up under Adrian Dorball's name. This was a smart move, as Danny still owed restitution to his previous victims from his loan scam operation. I can also, uh, I also can't imagine they're paying a lot of taxes on these uh, ill-gotten gains. I so imagine not. It's just no. crime on crime on crime. Yeah. And the loan scam operation, this guy is just a scam artist through and through. He would prey on people that needed money in the Miami area and put ads in the newspaper under a fake name. I believe it was David Lowenstein that he was a loan officer. People would call, try to sign up. And he would take their money and obviously not give them anything in return. God. Danny Lugo was on top of the world. He was the big man on the Sun Gym campus, with employees both admiring and fearing him, and clients coming to him to right their wrongs. Mm -hmm. 
Leading into this small-time mafioso power, Danny arranged a meeting in October of 1994 between himself, Adrian Dorball, and two other men that worked at the gym, Stevenson Pierre and Carl Weeks. As reported by the Miami New Times, during the meeting, Danny presented the men with an opportunity, make 100 grand for two days' work. The catch? Danny wanted the men to take down a gym member named Mark Schiller, who, according to Danny, had stolen $100,000 from him and another $200,000 from fellow gym member Jorge Delgado. A hundred grand for two days' work is a very enticing. It's an offer you can't refuse. Yeah. I think, yeah, he started getting uh, too big for his britches, as yes. we say, and is like, I can do it. I can get away with it. Yeah. Because he's gotten away with so much. I mean, he did time for the loan scam, but then he started getting away with the Medicare stuff, and and he's he thinks he can do any, he can do no wrong. Yeah. And when you you're getting hired by this gym, you have all this power and trust, even knowing that you've committed all of this fraud. I don't think it resonates with you that there's really not going to be that many repercussions if I do something again. Yeah, I mean, you just get away with one thing, get away with the next. Mm-hmm. No stranger to Danny's ways. The men knew what it meant to, quote, take down Schiller, kidnap him, beat him, force him to confess, and possibly kill him. At first, Stevenson, Pierre, and Carl Weeks wanted no part of the action. However, both were slight men, intimidated by the reputation and stature of Danny. As the gym manager laid on the persuasive charm, the two men quickly acquiesced. He was a charmer. And he was also And jacked. he was also a giant. <laughs> uh, or apparently nowadays you say yoked if someone's very strong. Oh, I love, okay. I love to learn new slang terms. Yeah, jacked, yoked, ripped. Yeah, bulked. That's bulked. not one. <laughs> uh, muscly. Pumped and bumped. <laughs> Pumped and bumped. <laughs> <laughs> that just reminds me of um, uh, Hans and Franz. Hans and Franz. Such That's a great the... bit. Oh, man. Oh. Prior to this meeting, Jorge Delgado had complained to Danny about a failed mortgage business he had been involved in with Schiller, a wealthy businessman from Miami. Schiller had owned an accounting firm called Dedema Corporation that offered services often reimbursed by Medicare. Initially, Delgado had been hired by Schiller to act as the office gopher. However, the two ended up becoming business partners and best friends. Schiller even ended up selling the Medicare-related portion of Dedema Corporation to Delgado, even staying on after the sale as a consultant for the firm, according to records obtained from the Florida Supreme Court. While the men's business relationship had seemingly started off on the up-and-up, Detective Jimenez told 48 Hours, I think Schiller got uh, greedy and started getting involved in Medicare fraud. Subsequently, Delgado now claimed Schiller had not only stolen from the government, but had also stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from him. Yeah, they said in the Supreme Court records that Schiller took Delgado to his house often. Delgado was intimately familiar with his house and that basically confessed Schiller. uh, I'm sorry, Delgado alleged that Schiller confessed the whole scheme to him and was like, here's how I'm doing the scheme and scam and everything. And here's how you can do it, too. Yeah, the Miami New Times has done or did, a great series on this, kind of how, um, I don't remember who it was, New York Times did a great piece on Aaron Hernandez, but it's a mm-hmm. three-part series on this whole story. It was a Boston story. Globe, I think. Boston Globe, yeah, you're right. Uh, Miami New Times did a three-part series on this whole story, and yeah, they were best friends. Like, their mm-hmm. families knew each other, they hung out together, they vacationed together. Uh, Delgado knew all of Schiller's alarm codes to get into his house Ooh. he knew that he kept a loaded gun in the safe you know he knew like ev- his his daily routine and everything so that's a lot of information to trust with someone a lot of intimate details yes. and then they turn on you yeah and he also knew that he had a bunch of offshore accounts and where he banked and all mm-hmm. that information too so yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I think the Miami Time, the Miami T- New Times is the pain and gain, which I think is what got optioned yes. to write the screenplay and everything. And that's is, why yeah. they named the movie that. Mm-hmm. As Delgado's personal trainer, Danny had learned a lot about his client's personal and professional life. Some would say Danny even took on the role of Delgado's protective older brother. Delgado had even tried to bring Danny into some business dealings with himself and Schiller. However, Schiller had won in no part saying that Danny was, 
coarse and creepy, according to the Miami New Times. This disagreement between Delgado and Schiller was what led to their eventual falling out, with Schiller telling his former business partner, Him or me. As the Miami New Times reported, when Delgado chose Danny, Schiller remarked, This guy's going to get you into a lot of trouble somewhere down the line. They described Delgado as kind of shrimpy and thin and small, and so I wonder if Danny kind of looked at him like, you need saving and protecting. Yeah, yeah, he he looked at him kind of as his little brother and everything, and I'm sure that that attention from, like, the big man on campus, mm-hmm. who was really popular, he was kind of the shining star, the central uh, focal point of the gym like when you're getting all that attention from like the most popular dude there who's big and bulky and liked by everyone that probably feels good true and if you're like the gopher kind of even Mm -hmm. though schiller brought him in and sold him the business he's still kind of you know him or me like i'm i'm making the decision so i think this delgado's in ping pong between two alphas and he's Mm -hmm. turns out he chose the more dangerous of the two although and i i'm this is not to diminish what the man went through we're about to detail some really horrific things Mark Schiller wasn't, like, the nicest guy. I mean, he was, like, fine, but he was pretty no-nonsense kind of a businessman. So, uh, so, you know, he would probably say, him or me, or you can, you know, get out of here. Ultimatums never work out well. (laughs) In any relationship. No, they're not a good thing to give. No. (laughs) Who plays Schiller in the movie? They change his name, and they put a thing at the end that says, name has been changed to protect the victim, but it's Tony Shalhoub from Monk. Oh, Interesting. I like he plays him. him. Yeah, he does a great job. He does play him a little bit as kind of a smarmy asshole to where almost when he gets kidnapped, you're like, yeah, fuck that guy, yeah. which is sad because he's a real person. And it, yeah. even if he defrauded the government of millions of dollars and was an asshole, he does not deserve what the fate that is about to no, befall him. No, no, no one does. So they changed some of the characters' names, but not all? Correct. Uh, I believe because... Um, what you call it, the criminals were already arrested and everything, you know, the main players, um, Schiller, they would have had to have gotten Schiller's likeness rights, I think, and he didn't give them, and he also claims he never got any money, and there's a lawsuit and a whole thing we'll go into in part two, so they, I think they changed his name because, they changed his info because, uh, they didn't want to get sued for, like, defamation. So, yeah, if... If they're going to change that, they could easily have changed Frank and Christina, who their story will come into part two, but they're the ones Correct. that lose their lives to these people. Yeah, they could have yeah, easily they, changed that. There would have been no difference. And they also change another character's name, too, and we'll talk about. But the the Tony Shalhoub character, too, I mean, I, maybe you'd be offended if it was you. Like I said, he's he's kind of smarmy, but he gets he's kind of funny, too. I don't know. So... I know that the that Mark Schiller was not pleased overall with the movie, but one wonders how would he have been more pleased if he had gotten some type of payout? Mm, yeah, or are you not pleased because it's too real? <laughs> like I am exactly like Tony Schiller. That's the thing when Kristen and Chelsea play us on the big screen and we're watching <laughs> it. Are we going to be pleased and and be like nailed it, or are we like I don't do that? <laughs> I would never do something like that. Someone has to Photoshop a movie poster of Chelsea Pretty and Jordan Peele and Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, like where their arms are crossed, like back to back. I'm trying to think of a good movie to where it would be funny to put their heads on it, but I'll leave that creativity up to you yeah, guys. Yeah, you guys, um, y- y'all always come through with that kind of stuff. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I tried to learn Photoshop just so I could do things like that. <laughs> and I just can't, I'm not good at that stuff. I'll find a magazine picture and cut out a head and glue stick it on. That's my speed. I don't understand Photoshop, though. There's a there's a great app called Cutout, and you can use oh. it to, like, cut a head out of one photo and paste it on the other. So if I'm ever trying to do a funny bit, I'll, that's the app okay, I'll use. Okay, I can do that. I can do yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty user-friendly. I, I... I struggle a little bit, but you figure it out. <laughs> Because Schiller was defrauding the federal government in a Medicare fraud scheme, Delgado assured Danny he would make an easy mark who would not report the crime. Delgado then provided Danny and the crew with the intimate details of Schiller's everyday movements so that Danny could plan his attack. Yeah, the prosecutor on the case, who was deeply impacted by it, she said, oh, Schiller was a perfect mark because he had so much to lose. 
This is why you got to play your cards close to the chest all the time. Don't let doing- someone get that close to you. <laughs> that, or if you're doing crime, keep it a secret. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. Don't do that. You should don't do crime. Don't do but. crime. Don't do crime. Also, don't do crime with other people because <laughs> then you, it's never, just like ultimatums don't end well, having a crime partner, unless it's a fun bit, doesn't end well usually either because people the money always talks you're true you're never gonna win out over over money no you or or like in this case i think where schiller went wrong is he didn't have enough dirt on delgado like Mm -hmm. delgado had all the dirt on him he should have had counter dirt yes they had to have a tit-for-tat dirt conversation. Yes, you had to exchange proper amounts of dirt. Otherwise, the dirt ratio is off. <laughs> it's and way off. It's all over. Mm-hmm. TV's Judge Alex Ferrer, from his aptly named show, Judge Alex, who presided over the later trial, described the crew's harebrained scheme to 48 hours. They planned to wait in Schiller's yard, covering themselves in blankets, and snatch him as he walked out around 5 a.m. to obtain his morning paper. However, the headlights of passing cars proved tricky and caused the guys to run away while screaming, Abort! 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 This is just they, step one. It is, it is attempt after attempt of, you can't make this stuff up, of how ridiculous and uh, poorly planned their yeah. their attempts to kidnap this guy were. Well, and almost too, like, I mean, in this case, they show up early, they have the blankets, but it's... It's it's like they plan it, but they don't think it through. Right, they're idea guys, but they don't they don't <laughs> execution. There's no, no follow through. There's no execution. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. Having aborted the first venture, the gang was not deterred. They made a plan to fake car trouble, hoping Schiller would stop to help. This plan also failed, with Judge Alex calling the crew, "The Keystone Cops gone bad." After their second attempt. Yeah, apparently they like dressed in costumes. They were calling each other Batman and Robin. It was they it was like they were ironically because it became a movie, but it was mm-hmm. like they were acting like they thought criminals act yeah. based upon movies that they had seen. Yeah, totally. And in relishing in it, leaning into I want to be this bad guy, hitman, mm-hmm. movie star type thing. Yeah. But uh the thing with actors is they're good at doing that kind of stuff because they're actors. And they're also just pretending they're not yeah. actually trying to do a crime. It's like yeah. real criminals just do the crime. They don't make a whole production out right. of it. Right, yes. There was a, way too much production going on with this. Yeah. Over the next few weeks, six more failed attempts occurred. Each time the men struck out, Danny would take them to a local gentleman's club, ply them with drinks and lap dances, and remind them that if they were successful in kidnapping Schiller, a lifestyle like this would be an everyday thing. But on the seventh strikeout, Danny had had enough, telling the men that if they wanted the money, they would have to figure things out on their own. Well, everyone has their breaking points. I mean, it sounds like he was trying to, he's like a good coach. He's trying to motivate them. You go do that crime. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be here to help you, baby bird. Fly out of the nest and do that crime. But it's, I mean, I just, again, I always, I mean, you know me, I'm like, how does a boner, a vampire boner work? I always have to have like logistics. So they're like, we're going to kidnap this guy and ask him for money. And he's not going to tell the cops because of Medicare fraud. Like, really? You really think that you're going to get like, what do you think is going to happen when you, I don't know, have him sign his house over and it's a bajillion dollar house and you can't pay property taxes on it. Like, there's just such little regard for like, it's just the logistics is just very hazy. There's not a lot of, um... Uh, it's very nearsighted, very yes, myopic, correct. everything. Yeah. yeah. Which is one of my uh, biggest pet peeves is when people do not look at the big picture of things or mm-hmm. extrapolate out like, if this, then what? How do we get from A to Z? We're going to have to do all this stuff. And they're, I don't like just ideas being thrown out with no logistics to back up how we do that. This is why when I have a harebrained idea, I text it to you. Like when I tested out that trampoline at the state fair and I texted you that I thought I wanted to buy one and you had immediately like seven questions. You were like, how are you going to, your homeowner's insurance is going to go up. What if you injure yourself? What if a neighborhood kid climbs over? How often are you going to use it? I was like, oh, these are all good. This was not, this was perfect. This is why I texted it to you. Cause if I truly wanted to buy the trampoline, I just would have bought the trampoline. I was like, talk me out you of it. You need somebody to talk you out of it. Damn, I still I am, want that trampoline though. I'm nothing if not pragmatic. I 
feel like trampolines are death traps. So. It's a spring free trip. I'm still on it. I'm still on it with the Did trampoline. it have a, a thing around it? So where yeah, if you couldn't fall off? Okay, that's better. But when I grew up, trampolines were just, you just went in somebody's backyard and you were jumping 20 feet in the fucking air. <laughs> it was loose. We had, oh, I totally. had a, a playhouse, a t- like two-story playhouse next to a trampoline that we would climb to the top of the playhouse, jump off onto the trampoline. And it, man, you bounced high. Too oh, yeah. high, I would yeah. say. And then you and would the double little... bounce your friends. Oh, yeah, all the time. And the uh, around the edge of it, because this was an old school spring style. The ones now are like these plastic arms that bend down. And so the springs don't pinch you. But man, back then you get your hand in that. It would pinch oh, your skin. Yeah. Be a little yeah. purple. And our cover, the blue kind of pad that goes on it, that thing was lost in the wind. So it was just its open metal, sharp, yeah. dangerous. You get to, you bounce too high, you come down and you just freaking oh. scissor those springs. Yes. Jesus Christ. There goes oh, your chance fun. of kids. Yeah. Man, I used to back backflip on that. Man, it was cool. Oh, yeah. I had, I mean, I had several friends that had trampolines. And looking back, I'm like, how did we make it out of that alive? The yeah. shit we would do on the, I mean, I think that about a good chunk of my childhood <laughs> and even later years too. I'm like, whoa. How did I even, I, re- I think that mentally I'm still like a 60 pound 10th grader or not 10th grader third grader and I was so say, I, that is very thin <laughs> no i was you know like a grader. like in 10 years old like little kid and i just flip fly around and i forget that i'm 34 <laughs> oh dude i this was way pre-covid was at a playground with ella and there was a, a fireman's pole and i was like up on the second story of the play thing and tommy's like come down it and i was like I'm legitimately scared to do this. I'm going to hurt my I back. I slid down it. I hurt myself five different ways. I fell <laughs> off of it. I burned my hands. Ugh. I twisted my, like, I'm like, this, these things are too much for us now. My uh, friend Jessica had a roller rink bachelorette party last year. Oh, fun. You think. Until. Until you get out there and these kids <laughs> are zipping around. Nobody Ooh. wears roller skates anymore. It's all no. roller blades. Mm-hmm. It was so crowded. They're going so fast. I was so scared. I felt like an elderly <laughs> woman like, trying to cross the street. It was terrifying. Yeah, that sounds traumatic. <laughs> it was. And the, and the kids that can't really skate had these things like walkers that they would put in front mm-hmm. of them so mm-hmm. they could... Well, they'd fall. Those things would go flying. So you get these walkers just zipping all over the the skating rink, like you're having to watch out for so much. It was a sh- it was a free for all, man. I I did one <laughs> lap. And I was like, I'm good. That was, was more fun. anxiety than I've experienced in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of the roller rinks and nachos, anyway. Oh hell yes, one hundred percent. The best part of most places are nachos if they've got nachos, <laughs> and if they don't have nachos, you probably shouldn't be there. What did she say? I'll have whatever's fanciest unless there's ribs. I'll have whatever's fanciest <laughs> unless there's nachos. Yeah. That's that's my mantra. Mm-hmm. Danny's threat motivated Adrian Dorball and Carl Weeks to get their act together. However, the two were no longer so sure about Stevenson Pierre. Deciding Pierre was no longer up for the task, the men enlisted the help of Mario Sanchez, a.k.a. Big Mario, a former Sun Gym trainer and licensed private eye in the state of Florida. At six foot four and 270 pounds, Sanchez was intimidating, a quality doorball and weeks planned to use to their advantage. Doorball assured Sanchez they were simply going to collect a legitimate debt from a drug dealer that owed them money, and that Sanchez would be paid $1,000 just to come along and look menacing. Wanting to be able to afford a nice Christmas present for his son, Sanchez agreed. The 48 Hours episode on this has an I. It was either Carl Weeks, but I think it's Mario Sanchez, but his face is blurred out and they don't say his name. But he takes him to the the scene of the crime. And he said at the time of this that he could bench press 505 pounds. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so many pounds. Up next to the little, I say little, up next to the average size host of 48 Hours. Yeah. I mean, he looks, he's like a cartoon character. He's yeah. massive. On November 15th, 1994. Adrian Dorball, Carl Weeks, and Mario Sanchez parked outside the Schlotsky's franchise Schiller owned and waited for their target to emerge. Just 24 hours earlier, they had been in the same location, unable to apprehend Schiller when their car wouldn't start. 
This time, however, their scheme went according to plan. Schiller told 48 Hours that he was attempting to get into his car after work when he was snatched from behind. He grabbed the steering wheel in an attempt to save himself, but he was overcome. They just kept punching me, he said. And they had a taser. A taser that inflicted 120,000 volts of pain each time it was used against him. Yeah, he wasn't even really, I mean, he's just bebopping back to his car and he looks down, I guess, to get his keys out or something and had opened his door and they just seatbelt, like, grabbed him around his waist. And the man that can bench press 505 pounds, I mean, that's nothing. He just picked oh, him right yeah. up. He's nothing. just like a rag doll. He could have picked up the whole car. Believing he was being carjacked, Schiller yelled at the men. Take my watch. Take my money. My car. When the men continued to beat him, Schiller screamed. What the fuck do you guys want? According to the Miami New Times. As the burly men dragged Schiller towards their awaiting van, one of them answered his question. You. Schiller was then tossed in the van and told to keep his eyes shut or the gun that was being jammed into his temple would be used to kill him. As the van drove away, Schiller was handcuffed, his mouth, ears, and eyes taped shut. I just don't want to reference Tim McGraw too much to give away like that I'm a real big fan, but it makes me think of Don't Take the Girl. Take my money. Take her. <laughs> Anyway, he said he was, as anyone would be, absolutely fucking terrified. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're you're being taken. And for the most part, I mean, he's he's defrauding the government. But the government, hopefully, we don't know, TBD, is not going to come and snatch you from you're going to get arrested. Right. For, for Medicare fraud. They're going to just put handcuffs on you and take you to jail and let you have a lawyer. But when you have a giant monster grab you, zap you, and beat your ass, and then say, all we want is you. Yeah. That's the worst, I mean, that's the worst case imaginable. No, I mean, you feel like you're in a Michael Bay film at that point. <laughs> I mean, literally. Yeah. And, and and I mean, to say the crimes he was doing, it's not like he was in the mafia and he's killing people or beating people. You know, it wasn't the life he, I mean, he was doing some crime, but it wasn't the life he was in, you right. know? He was doing white collar crime. He didn't I think, think this would affect, this would be the outcome. Exactly. And if you're in the mafia or something, someone snatches you, you're like, oh, shit, it's Big Vinny. He's coming to, you know, or, oh, yeah. my time has come. But this is just a semi-legitimate businessman leaving his Schlotsky's franchise. First of all, good job for owning a Schlotsky's franchise. Great investment. Freaking I would love Schlotsky's. All of those mini pizzas. The, the I pizza. am so glad you like the pizzas. You yeah. didn't know they made pizzas. And then I told you, mm-hmm. you've got to try their pizzas. And... I think it's every day after four central time. They're five dollars and they're good sized pizzas. Yeah, no, it's like a pie five. It's like a personal pan so size. Good. Oh and their God. veggies are good. Yeah, I may get that for dinner. Damn. Oh, I was just thinking about what I'm going to eat for dinner. I'm so for those hungry right now. Not in the U.S. Schlotzky's is a sandwich franchise and their mm. slogan is funny name, serious sandwich. Yes. And um, they're delicious sandwiches. And based they, out of Austin, Texas. They are, yes. They certainly are. Yeah, and he also was um, getting ready to leave the next day to go to Columbia, where his wife was from and their in-laws live, for Hanukkah. So oh. you're, like, in that mindset that you're going on vacation, it's the holidays, and mm-hmm. then something like this happens, and all you're thinking is, like, I was just on my way home to my family. Yeah, we're supposed to, I'm supposed to be with my kids, my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Damn. Over the course of 30 days, Schiller was blindfolded, tortured with fire, forced to play Russian roulette, and had to soil himself because the gang would not allow him to use the bathroom. They gave him one kindness, a single phone call, which he used to call his wife. He told her to leave the country immediately and head to Columbia. She left right away without ever calling police. Schiller told 48 Hours... He believes she never called authorities because it was prudent not to. I'm sure she knew some business dealings he had going on. Yeah. And they asked him, what'd you tell her? And he said, I told her, leave everything. Yeah. Grab your bags. Take Take the the kids kids. and immediately leave right now. Get out. Which was smart because the final straw was they were like, give us, you know, give us this info. Sign these papers, whatever. And, you know, anytime he refused, they're like, we're going to bring your wife and we're going to rape her in front of you. Yeah. And so... Of course, of course you tell him, tell her to get GTFO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were also having him call um, his business acquaintances and read a script, acting like everything was okay, but 
uh, saying like, well, I'm signing over my power of attorney to Jorge Delgado now and all of these things. He was having to sign stuff totally blindfolded. He had no idea Mm -hmm. what he was signing. He said the tape, the duct tape around his face was cutting in so bad to his nose that his nose was just pouring blood. Mm -hmm. And Carl Weeks was kind of the most sympathetic figure to him. And like he said, he gently placed like a maxi pad under there to catch all the blood. Then the other guys just laughed about it the whole time. So it was like. They also were very, um, they were calling him matzo ball. Yeah, they were. Yes. Very anti-Semitic. It's an insult to injury, but they show in the movie, Tony Shalhoub's, basically the skin gets ripped off his nose from Mm -hmm. the ripping of the duct tape and stuff like that. So, yeah, he was, imagine how just completely disorienting that is, too, to be blindfolded and, frankly, having to, you know, go to the bathroom on yourself, blindfolded. They said that finally, I think it was weeks, went and gave him a can of ravioli because he said the other guys were starving him and... Anytime they would leave, he he said, he gave me a can of ravioli, which, of course, I had to eat with my hands. And I was just at this. I mean, you basically are like, please kill me. Yeah. I'm over it. Like, yeah. I, I mean, that's so sad. Yeah. He said he was blindfolded for so long and so tightly that he couldn't picture his wife and kids anymore. Mm. And I just started thinking how just the dark hole you go into, like how disorienting it is. But mm-hmm. really, like, you're so... Sh- disassociated and shut off that you can't even picture your loved ones anymore and you probably you know, think you don't know he's what... going to die i mean all he did was he thought 100 percent they're going to kill me oh yeah and you're especially once you finish signing over the last bit of whatever yes. yeah but yeah you you just can't even tell what day it is anymore i mean think how disoriented mm-hmm. it is when you go to a casino and there's no you don't see the sun going up and down right so. yeah god another weird part of this was that they had him in the scripts where he would explain to his business acquaintances and things like why he was making these decisions to sign things over. Like he called his attorney and was like, uh, Jorge Delgado is going to be showing up to, you know, uh, I'm, I'm signing this business over to him. Da, 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 da. He's, and the whole excuse was I'm leaving my wife because I've met another woman Mm. and I'm just head over heels for her. And so it was, but when you think about it again, like what these guys are trying to do, this like movie scheme of this huge elaborate plan and everything, like that's so illogical that someone yeah. would go <laughs> to all these links because they were cheating on their wife. Yeah. And I mean, maybe they thought if they said, hey, I'm cheating on my wife, don't call her. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, maybe. But I mean, why wouldn't you just say I'm going to go retire to Columbia and never call me again? Yeah. I think they the guys were doing what they knew. Mm hmm. And Danny Lugo, during this time, his wife, who, side note, is Adrian Dorball's cousin, mm-hmm. is pregnant with their second child. And she thinks he's cheating on her because he's gone so much. So he brings her up to this warehouse to show her that, no, I'm not cheating on you. I have this guy captive and we're just torturing and beating the shit out of him. And she saw the whole thing. And then meanwhile, he was sleeping with the Sabina Petrescu, yeah, too. Yeah, he's got, and he's got he somebody was, on the he, side. He was, <laughs> he's still he was cheating, cheating on her 100%. <laughs> but yeah. what a great out so that your wife doesn't find out that you're unfaithful. <laughs> but I don't think you question it anymore after that. Admit to uh, several felonies. Mm-hmm. Exhausted, despondent, and blindfolded, Schiller finally signed over $1.2 million in cash and assets plus a $2 million life insurance policy to Danny Lugo and his cronies, a far cry from the original 200000 Delgado alleged he had stolen. The gang then moved into Schiller's house, pillaged his jewelry, furniture, and cars, and even changed the pool contract into their own name. They threw lavish parties and enjoyed Schiller's house while Schiller was locked in a dirty warehouse bathroom and tortured daily. They were truly living it up. I mean... Inviting people over and having... That's crazy. Yeah. Eventually, Danny had had enough and decided it was time to kill Schiller. The gang filled their victim with multiple types of alcohol and sleeping pills until he was unconscious. They then rammed his Toyota 4Runner into a light pole and set the car on fire after placing him in the driver's seat, hoping to make it look like an accident. Their one mistake? Not buckling Schiller in. Being set on fire was enough to wake the accountant who stumbled from the car to try and save himself. Lugo and the gang had been watching from down the block, 
so when they saw their victim standing upright beside the car, they drove down to finish him off. Initially, they missed him. Determined now more than ever to end Schiller's life, the crew backed over him twice with their car and sped away. I think he said that they had him drinking only alcohol and not eating food mm-hmm. for something like three or four days. Yeah. And like, Which I was like oh, and like the vomit. worst mixtures ever. He would yeah. throw up all the time, like tequila, chocolate liqueur, rum, yeah. like like drinking like you're 18 and you don't know what you're doing. Just and random he would stuff. Just, yeah. He would just be throwing up, but he, he knew he had he had to do it and they wanted it to look like an accident or a suicide, which is, again, like this whole story of, oh, this guy that had left his wife and kids for this mistress and had lost everything and lost his business and everything. And this is how he was going to end it all. Yeah. And they said that, you know, they backed over him and didn't really I mean, they didn't get out to check because the car was now smoking. People were coming out to I mean, you hear a car smash into a pole. Yeah. So they just back over him and bail, and then they get back to the house and are looking at the TV, and they're like, surely, we we did it, right, you guys? We did it. I'm like, that's, you didn't even stay to check. No, no. And Danny was super pissed about it when they got back, and they're like, well, he wasn't dead, so we had to back over him, and they looked at the damage on their car, and they're like, surely this killed someone, and Lou goes like, nah. This didn't no. kill somebody. <laughs> they, they said it wasn't even, it was not like massive dents. It was just a little bit. But imagine, my God, you're tortured for over a month. Yeah. Then you're put into a car, driven into a pole, and lit on fire. Mm-hmm. Then you're backed over with a car, not once, but twice. And somehow you still managed to survive that. Yeah, he said, he just said it was super hot. I, my eyes popped open. I woke up. I mean, you probably really do think you're dead or in hell. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's like, I just, I realized I was inside somewhere. So I grabbed for the door and just stumbled out. And then you think, oh, thank God I've survived. I'm not in the warehouse. I'm no longer blindfolded. I'm not duct taped. How wonderful. Oh, there's a car that's hitting me. <laughs> oh, and here it comes again. And there it yeah. is again. Yeah. yeah. In addition to immense trauma. Mark Schiller suffered a broken pelvis, shattered spleen, ruptured bladder, and significant burning that landed him in the ICU at Jackson Memorial Hospital. As soon as he regained consciousness, he began telling his story, insisting he had been kidnapped. But with his high blood alcohol content and significant injuries, Schiller says medical staff blew him off and tried convincing him it was all just a bad drunk driving accident. Can you believe how, I mean, you're like feeling so gaslit. And mm-hmm. he said, he's like, I, as soon as I woke up and I touched my hand and realized there was an IV in it and I was in the hospital, he said every nurse, I would grab their arm and be like, you have to listen to me. There's men after me. And they're like, he's paranoid. He's high on drugs. He's just yeah. high. Golly. And then you start to probably question it. Like, mm-hmm. was, did I make all this up? Was this a horrible dream? Like, I mean, you, you're pretty confident it's not. But yeah, how frustrating that. You're like, these men are on their way up here to finish this job, and I'm just a sitting duck. Rather than calling the police, Schiller decided to hire a private eye. Miami attorney Gene Rosen had given Schiller a name to call, Ed Dubois. Dubois was hesitant to take Schiller's case, assuming his mess was due to a drug deal gone wrong with the cartel. He did offer Schiller one bit of advice, though. Get out of the hospital as fast as you can and get out of Miami. Dubois told Schiller that if his claims of torture and attempted murder were true, the men responsible for his pain would most certainly show up at the hospital to finish the job. Ed Dubois is played by Ed Harris. Mm. And in interviews with Ed Dubois, he's (laughs) driving around on a boat and he's so badass. He's very, I mean, he's been a private eye for multiple decades and he's just a guy that fucking knows how things go. And he's like, well, you're getting, they're going to come back and finish you. you yeah, go. definitely. Yeah, which not bad advice at all. Nope. Schiller and his family hired a $6,000 medical ambulance flight to New York. Money well spent as it saved his life. Schiller told 48 Hours that he left the hospital at 8 a.m. with Danny Lugo and Jorge Delgado arriving at the hospital just two hours later with plans to kill him. For the next four months, Schiller and his family laid low in Columbia. During this time, Danny and the rest of the Sun Jim gang looted Schiller's bank accounts and emptied out his house of the remaining valuables. So even though you're safe, you're 
back home, your shit's still getting <laughs> just yeah. tore up. I mean, you signed, not willingly, but you signed away everything. So, yeah, they're going to take, especially now that he's gone, they don't have anything else to milk. They're going to take as much as they can. Yeah. I just never understood where they, again, with the finances of like, you're going to kill him. They're going to find his dead body. Literally, the next thing is they're going to call his wife and say, hey, your husband's been killed and let's probate his will and go through his estate. Who the fuck is Jorge Delgado? All this stuff was fraudulently transferred before his death. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even if they were able to kill Schiller, they still would have been caught. They are not smart criminals. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. They're way out of their league. Yeah, I mean they're they're horse in a hospital, a bull in a china shop, and it's mm-hmm. they because they're doing tons of damage still. Mm-hmm. I mean that what's uh Mark Schiller couldn't walk for several months. Oh yeah, and then after that he walked with a cane. Four months later, in April of 1995, Schiller finally reported the incident to the Metro Dade Organized Crime Unit. However, no one believed the story. No investigation was conducted. Danny Lugo was never questioned. Sadly. This decision would lead to a separate incident just a month later where two innocent lives, Frank Griga and Christina Furton, would be lost to the hands of Danny and his gang. Judge Alex told 48 Hours that if the police had listened to Schiller's story, Frank Griga and Christina Furton would probably be alive today. And we'll get into their horrific uh, ending in the next episode. Yeah, Judge Alex is pretty, uh, pretty pissed. He was like, honestly, it could have literally all it would have taken was a little bit of investigation into his story. And uh, and Dubois said the same thing. And he said, you know, we went to him with I mean, he said we didn't go to him and say, we really don't know who did this. He's like, we basically went to him and was like, it was Jorge, Del- Jorge Delgado. And he probably knows everybody else, too. Yeah, he said Schiller said during his torture he figured out pretty quickly that Jorge Delgado was the one that mm-hmm. was behind all of this because Lugo and all of them knew all of these intimate details about his life and his family mm-hmm. and his routine and stuff that he was like, oh, yeah, this has got Delgado written all over it. Mm-hmm. A little bit of investigation. Call up his freaking attorney. Call yeah. up any people that he had to, like, sign something over and gave this ludicrous story to. And you start connecting the dots yeah, you're going to figure out that, like, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make any sense. Well, and also the stuff that they stole from him, it's not like he was a drug dealer and it was a truck full of cash and you can't trace. It was bank accounts. It was assets. It was business holdings. It was his house. It was his pool. I mean, there was plenty of paper trail to be investigated. And, yeah, not a good look on the police for not even slightly following up. But in the interviews I saw with Schiller and Dubois, they were both, pretty irritated and i wonder i was thinking about like why would he wait and report it but honestly if you were going to try and you know say get your house back or claim insurance you know call and try to get things replaced or get reimbursed through like your insurance and stuff you'd have to have a police report and plus i mean he was in new york at the time and then i think he flew into miami to make the report and stuff so i mean i think physically he thought he was safe and at some point you want to go home so to speak even if it's Mm -hmm. not your physical home like you want to be back in in miami where you live and try to get back to some sort of normalcy and you certainly can't do that if these guys are just walking free on the streets and it's like how many months are you going to make your wife and kids wait in hiding um and it's like i'll just take the pill and say you know what yes i did the medicare scam please just let me get all my shit back yeah we'll get into uh his story The rest of Schiller's story and Frank and Christina's story in the next episode. So what do we think so far? Like like I said, they're like bulls in China shops. Yeah, they are. It's it's really hard because on the one hand, they are so dumb and they really, I mean, ridiculous. They didn't think things through. It was silly. They wore costumes. But on the other hand, they what they did was inflict real harm and real injury onto this guy and. Uh, like we said, as much as Medicare fraud he did, he doesn't deserve to get his pelvis shattered and get run over by a car and burned. It was all comical until they finally got a hold of him. Mm-hmm. And then it was like uh, just uh, something out of a Tarantino film. Yeah, it's a horror movie. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, you're like, it's just like hostile. I mean, you're being like burned. Yeah, it's Reservoir Dogs. I mean, yeah. they certainly knew what to do with him once they got him where they wanted him to be. They had no qualms, perhaps a little bit Carl Weeks, 
of just absolutely putting this guy through horrific, like Guantanamo Bay style torture. And it was almost unnecessary. You know, if they just needed, they, they could have just kept him handcuffed and still let him go to the bathroom, fed him. You know what I mean? Something and not burn him purposefully. And especially Russian roulette, that didn't do anything for anyone. They said they would put up one bullet in a gun and spin it and put it up next to his temple to where he could, he's like, I'm blindfolded, but I could feel the gun up next to my head. So at that point, you're just psychologically torturing someone and just and also being anti-Semitic and shitty. And, or you kill him before you get all the shit that you're trying to get. So again, again, they're not thinking anything through. Not thought through. No, not thought through at all. Yeah. So. Well, um, thank you, Shelly, for this suggestion. This has been uh, one we did not know about. And man, there's a lot to the story. Yeah, for it, sure. it con- continues on in part two. Mm-hmm. We love providing sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus minisode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including some fun new additions like our wheel segment where we mm. spin a wheel spin a wheel of topics and just talk about all kinds of stuff, and we even take your suggestions of what to put on the wheel. It was so much fun, or the last one we did. I have not laughed that hard in a while. <sighs> it was, it I came good. out, it felt good. Paris, first of all, Paris goes, you sounded like you were having fun in there, and then I bounded out with all this energy, and he's like, this is how you are when you come off stage from a comedy show, and I was like, that's what I feel like. Yeah, it felt, it felt like we were just bullshitting in the green room, which is something I miss dearly, so felt so good. We're recording another one right after this, and we got some fun new topics on the wheel that I'm Whoa. excited about. You also have another fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll also be hopping on occasionally and hosting monthly Q&As, where you can ask us all your burning questions. For patrons not in the U.S., you now have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Also, annual memberships are available for tiers as well. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon in the top right corner to join today. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. We recently added a new tote bag design and socks, which would make wonderful stocking stocking stuffers for the holidays. So if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top right corner. Can we coin Mary Sinistermas? Yeah, is that, I love is it. That, is that it? Mary, Mary Sinistermas? Sinistermas? Yeah, there's probably a better way to do it. Ma- Mary Merry Christmas hood? Nope, that doesn't work. <laughs> Whatever it is, have a sinisterhood Christmas. Give give someone the gift that keeps on giving. Our face is on a coffee mug. Ho- days Like sinisterhood holidays? Hoodla- oh, nope. hoodladays? Hoodladays? <laughs> the best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood Christy. I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and on Twitter at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Instagram at Heather versus the world and on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. CDCD. Jemaine Stewart. Destiny Boyer. Monica. Katie Andrews. Brittany. Abigail Snyder. Melissa Craig. Casey Dobell. Elizabeth Fleeton. Liz Young. Robin Spriggs. Abby Huey. Chelsea Jameson. Deanne Childroth. Gina Goode. Chelsea Shipley-Weller. Nissa Corner. Abby Howe. 
Mishka Holland, Kim, Sydney, Mama Shark, Johnny Chase, Maggie Figueroa, Talia Morby, Abby Lucy O'Hearn, Marissa Martin, Jessica Webb, Ashley Kappel, Mary Kinnison, Maria Hennigan, Carrie McGuire, Jeanette Condy, Melinda Gillis, Deb the Webb, Farida Badron, Blanche Carolyn Johnston, Abby Lawman, Sue D, Kennedy Pope, Brian Wang, Maureen LL, Stephanie Norris, Lillian Renette Linthicum, Hallie, Amy Wilson, Maddie in Canada, Deb Hardy, and Amanda Poppins. Whoa, that was a long list to get through, and we can appreciate it more. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show, especially during these trying times. We couldn't do this without you. We love you. We appreciate you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. <laughs> Sin